You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts and find chapter 16 this morning, Acts chapter 16. It is, uh, it is summer. I know it's not June yet, that's next week, but it's almost here and the summer months are on us and uh, that means a change, a slight change in our preaching schedule. Um, we're going to lay aside our study of 1 Corinthians through the summer months. Uh, we've had a lot to uh, think about. We've been swimming in some deep water in uh, 1 Corinthians up until this point, and so uh, we're going to lay that aside, come back and pick up our study in the fall, and we'll continue to work our way through that New Testament letter. But uh, we are also going to focus on some other things this summer that I hope will be spiritually edifying to you. Eventually, we're going to get into the book of Psalms. We'll spend a, time, we'll spend a, a few weeks uh, looking at some different Psalms, so we'll, uh, we'll do that together. But over the next couple of weeks, I want us to just uh, take a little time and dig down a little deeper into what we shared with you last week, which is our church's mission statement. I thought last Sunday was a great day in the life of our church because it really set before us where we're going, what, what kind of church we desire to be collectively, together, as a body of Christ. And if you were not here last week, let me just share with you that we at First Baptist Martin are committing ourselves to be a church that brings glory to God by helping every generation to believe, connect, to grow, and to go. We're going to say that so much around here that you're going to get sick of it. And I hope that's the case because we want it to really get into the water around here and we want it just to become something that you're constantly thinking about something that you embrace and something that you live out in your life and that we live out together as the people of God here in the Martin community. But what does all of that mean? We, we talked about it a little bit last week, but I want us to try to drill down a little deeper. What does it mean that we are to be a church that's helping others to believe? Believe what exactly? Well, the answer is we want people to believe in Christ. We want people to believe in the gospel. We want people to come to a point where they recognize the truth and the power of the gospel. And what exactly is the gospel? We talk about it around, uh, around here a lot. You will hear us mention the gospel, that we want to be a gospel-centered people, that we preach and we teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is that? Well, the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world and He died for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. His whole purpose for coming into the world was to take our sin on himself and go to the cross and suffer in our place, suffer the punishment that we all deserve because of sin. Jesus did that on the cross. He died, and then he was buried, which means he really was dead. They buried him, but then he rose again on the third day. 
And he's alive. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is alive. And it's his resurrection from the dead that really gives life to the whole gospel message because uh, Jesus didn't just say that he was the Son of God. He proved and demonstrated he is the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And so when Jesus says, I am the one who gives life, you can believe that because he has proved that he has conquered death. He is, he is the one who makes us alive. And when we believe the gospel, that's exactly what happens, is that Christ makes us alive in him. We who are dead in our sins become alive in Christ, and we want people to know that, and we want people to believe that, because we know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We know that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. You can't know God apart from Jesus Christ, and only Christ can help us, can help a person understand and truly discover the whole purpose for which he or she has been created and so we want people to believe that not just believe that with their head we want to believe that we want them to believe that with their heart with their entire being we want them to believe in Jesus Christ we want them to experience the joy of being made new in him the joy of the salvation that he gives and so we we are a gospel people who desire for others to believe in the gospel and to join us in this pursuit of following Christ and knowing him deeper and knowing him more just a couple of thoughts about that before we draw uh, uh, dive into our text this morning uh, the first thing I want you just to understand is that helping others believe is something that we are all called to do when we say that this is the mission of our church that means it's the mission of everyone who is a part of our church everyone who is a true follower of Jesus Christ the call to follow Christ is the call to be fishers of men it's a call to be a witness of Jesus Christ in this world it's a call to go and make disciples by sharing the truth of the gospel and inviting others to come and join us in following Christ and discovering in him forgiveness of sin and life and peace and joy and hope and if we're going to impact our town if we're going to impact West Tennessee then it means that all of us have to be committed to this mission to do what we can with the opportunities that we are given each one of us to share Christ with others we're all called to this and we need to understand that the other thing that we need to understand is that though we can help people to believe and we certainly want to do that we can't make them believe what I mean by that is that salvation is of the Lord. We don't save anybody. We can't save anybody. If we could, we surely would believe for those who are still out there and who are lost. But we can't believe for them. We can only believe for ourselves. If they're going to come to know Christ, then God has to do a work of grace and regeneration in their life. And he does that. When we take the gospel message and we share the gospel message, it's the Holy Spirit of God who causes the scales to fall from people's spiritual eyes so that they're open and they can see the truth of the gospel message. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the spiritually dead to life. Only God has the power and the authority to save. And though we know when we go out and sow the seed of God's Word in our community, it is sometimes going to fall on soil that is hardened there are people who are going to be very shallow and just not going to do much with it. There are others whose lives are going to be so consumed with the things of this world that they have no time for the gospel. Though that is true, we also know that ultimately as we sow the, sow the seed of the gospel, it is going to find good soil upon which to rest. 
And it will take root and it will bear fruit to the glory of God. That there will be people who will be saved. The more we share the gospel, the more God will use the gospel to save people in our community. And I know that because we are still here. We know that not everyone in Martin, not everyone in West Tennessee is going to be saved. The Bible never promises that. But the Bible does promise that through the preaching of the gospel, many will be saved. And I believe that God is still in the business of saving people. And I believe there are people in our community that God wishes to save. And he wants to use us to help make that happen. And so our job is not to figure out who's who or what's what. Our job is simply to proclaim the gospel knowing that God will use our witness to demonstrate his power by bringing people to believe and trust him for their salvation. So having said all of that, I want this morning to share with you and to to look together at a passage in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, where we get a picture of how God takes the gospel and how he brings people in various stages of unbelief, how he draws them to himself through the gospel message. In Acts chapter 16, Luke, who was the human author of the book of Acts, and what I mean by that is that he is the man who wrote the book of Acts, but he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that everything that is in the book of Acts is there because God wanted it to be there. God is the one who has revealed himself to us through his word. And so in the book of Acts, what Luke is telling us is what God told him to write down for you and for me. And in Acts chapter 16, Luke tells the story of Paul and his missionary companions going into the city of Philippi for the first time preaching the gospel message. And when they got there, Luke tells us that Paul and his missionary companions encountered three different people, three different types of people who were in various stages of unbelief. All of them are lost. But they are in various stages of unbelief, but through the gospel message, God used Paul to draw these individuals to himself so that ultimately their lives were changed and they were saved by the power of the gospel message. And I want you to see that this morning here in Acts chapter 16. We're going to pick up with verse 11. Usually I have you stand. This is a long passage though this morning. And what I want to do is I just want to walk through it with you together. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 11. Luke says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and then the next day we came to Neapolis, and then from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And then on the Sabbath, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. Now let's stop right there for just a moment. When Paul, at this stage in his missionary travels, when he would go into a new place, what he would normally do is he would go and he would find a synagogue. He would find a place where Jews would gather and they would be studying the scriptures or reading the scriptures, and then he would walk into that setting and then he would engage them in conversations around the scriptures, showing them and sharing with them how of all of scripture points to Jesus Christ. And so he would use the scriptures to point people to Christ and explain the gospel. And that's normally what Paul would do. But when he got to Philippi, there was no synagogue. And so on the Sabbath day, what he did is he went outside of the city because he heard that there were people who gathered there outside the city by the river, and they would engage in prayer meetings. 
And so Paul said, okay, so here are some people who are spiritually curious. Here are some religious people who are getting together in a pursuit of God, trying to seek after God. I'm going to go and I'm going to join up with them and I'm going to engage them in a conversation. So he does that. On the Sabbath day, he goes outside the city. He finds some women there who are gathered together to pray. And it says in verse 14, now a certain woman, Lydia, heard us. So when he got there, he sees them praying. He goes and he sits down. He begins to talk with them about Scripture, begins to engage them in a spiritual conversation. And then from that conversation, he leads into the gospel. And Lydia, who was there, heard him. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And Luke says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So here you have this woman, Lydia. Now by Luke's description here, here is a woman who is successful. She's a wealthy businesswoman. She is a seller of purple which would be expensive cloth, expensive expensive clothing back in the day. She was smart, she was well-respected, and she was religious. She's gathered outside the city with a group of women, and they are in a prayer meeting. So here's a woman who obviously believes in God. She is a person who is seeking after God. She clearly wants to know God better, but there's something missing in Lydia's life. Nobody's ever really explained the gospel to Lydia. And as I said a few moments ago, that though you may pursue God and you may want to know God, you can't know God apart from His Son, Jesus Christ. Because the only way to God is through Christ. So something's missing here in Lydia's life. She has no understanding of the gospel. She's never put her trust in Jesus. Nobody ever explained that to her. But now Paul shows up. And Paul sees these group of women praying together, and he begins to engage them in a conversation. And through that conversation, he begins to share the gospel. And the Bible says that God opened up Lydia's heart. Lydia just didn't open up her heart. God is the one who opened up Lydia's heart. And what that means is that God grabbed her attention. Paul is speaking, and Lydia is soaking up everything that Paul is saying. Because God is speaking directly to her. And so she begins to realize that what's missing in her life is Christ. Nobody's ever explained this to me before. I I, I don't know God. I I, I thought I knew God, but I don't know God at all because I don't know his son, Jesus. And God grabs hold of her heart, and she comes to the point where she believes. And how do we know she believes? Because the Bible says that Paul eventually will baptize her and will baptize her household. Now, Paul wouldn't have baptized her if she had not first put her faith in Jesus. Because Paul knows that baptism doesn't save a person. Jesus is the one who saves And so the fact that she got baptized is an indication that she came to faith in Christ and her whole life changed as a result of that. Now, when you think about Lydia, you think about a group of people that we should be very familiar with because they're all around us, especially here in West Tennessee and in the Martin community. Lydia is a picture of a person who is religious, but she is lost. Do you know anybody like that? Of course you do. They're everywhere. People who have a knowledge of God, 
People who have a respect for the Bible may even profess to believe the Bible. People who go to church, at least occasionally, but they've never met Jesus. They've never truly understood and embraced the gospel in their life. They're religious people, but they are very much lost, just as Lydia was lost. And what needs to happen in their life is that somebody needs to sit down and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and explain to them that religion is not the answer. Religion is not what brings us to God. Religion is not what will get you to heaven. Jesus is the one who saves. And you can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Now, how do we help people who are religious but lost come to faith in Christ? We just need to look at what Paul did. When you look at Paul, what you see is a man who was looking for opportunity to engage people in gospel conversations. Now, now we're, we're, we're great, especially in our area, and I guess people may be the same everywhere, but we're really good about talking to others about things that don't really matter much. Now, we may think that those things are important, but we can get into small talk and chatter all the time without talking about the most important thing that should be on our hearts and should be on our minds, and that is, where are people in their relationship with God? A person should not be able to be around you as a follower of Christ very long without Christ coming up in a conversation, without the gospel somehow being introduced to the conversation. Because Jesus Christ is not just a big part of our life on Sunday, he's a big part of our life every day. In fact, Jesus Christ is our life. Our life is all about Christ. And we're simply a, pe a people left here on this earth to be on mission for God. And so we're looking for opportunities to engage people in spiritual conversations. We need to understand that though we are surrounded by people who are perhaps religious people and consider themselves to be spiritual people, there are many of them who have never really trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, how do you get to the bottom of that? How do you discover that? By pressing in in those conversations and beginning to ask people to share with you, what is the reason for your hope? I mean, do you, do you, do you think one day that you're going to go to heaven? What makes you believe that? Tell me about your relationship with God. Tell me about your story. Tell me about your spiritual journey. And when you begin asking questions like that, not in a condescending manner, but just out of curiosity, tell me about your relationship with God. Tell me about your spiritual journey. What you will find is that a lot of people, when they begin to answer that question, will talk about a lot of other things but Jesus. People will talk about how they are trying their best to live a good moral life, and they're hoping that when they get to the end, the scale tips in their favor so that there's more good than bad, and God will perhaps give them a pass and let them get into heaven. There'll be people who will talk about a past spiritual experience that really has no impact on their life in the present. In other words, I walked down an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I got baptized, I joined the church. They'll talk about a lot of those things, things that they've done, but they never mention the gospel and they never mention Jesus. I want to say it to you again, religion is not what gets us to heaven. Jesus is the one who gets us to heaven. Jesus is the one who brings us to God. When you ask a person about their spiritual journey and their relationship with God, if they're not first and foremost talking about Jesus, that's a red flag. That's an indication that perhaps this person does not really understand the gospel. Now, here's the mistake that we make in our area. 
The mistake that we make is that if somebody says they go to church, we automatically assume that that person must have a relationship with God because they go to church, right? Can I tell you something? The church is perhaps one of the largest mission fields in the world today. The church is full of people. we got people on our membership rolls who think they're going to heaven, but when in truth they're not because they've never experienced the power of the gospel in their life. They've never truly come to terms with the fact that they are a sinner who has no hope or possibility of saving themselves, that the only one who can rescue them and the only one that can save them is Jesus Christ, and that is why he came into the world. That's why he died on the cross. He was raised from the dead to deliver us from sin, to make it possible for us as sinners to be forgiven, to be justified and reconciled to God. And with that comes the promise and the hope of new and eternal life. We need to press in. We need to talk with people about their spiritual journey. And the other thing that we need to do is we need to invite people like Lydia into places where we know that they're going to be exposed to gospel conversations, to gospel truth. We would hope and pray that that is going to be the case around here. In every life group, in every gathering, in every small group that meets in our church, that, that when people get together, that the gospel is going to be front and center. It doesn't mean that we're not going to dive into the, the, the other things of God's Word, the deeper things of God's Word. We're going to talk about more than just the gospel, but everything needs to be gospel-centered. And everything needs to come back around to the gospel. So that we know that when we invite people into our life group, at some point in that life group, the person leading that group and the people in that group are going to talk about the gospel, and they're going to talk about Jesus and how Jesus is the one who saves. When they come to a small group, they're going to hear it there. When we invite our friends to come to church, we know that when they walk in this building, at some point in our gatherings, somebody is going to stand up here and explain what the gospel is all about what the gospel means and express every person's need for the gospel in their life so we need to do that we need to be a people who are committed to helping in our area those who are religious but lost come to faith in christ and they're everywhere they're everywhere the second group of people you see here at beginning with verse 16 the Bible says, now it happened as we went to prayer, so he's on his way to one of these prayer meetings, Paul is, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days, but Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace and to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrate, saying, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Now, we'll see what happens next in just a few moments. But I want you to focus on this girl. She's not mentioned by name. She's just referred to as a slave girl. She is a girl who is perhaps in her mid-teens, she has a demon inside of her, and she's a, she's a slave to some men who are using her for their own personal and economic gain. Here's a girl whose life is all messed up. 
She's got people in her life who are constantly using her and abusing her. They don't care about her. They only care about themselves and using this girl for profit. This girl's not on her way to a prayer meeting like Lydia. For one, she couldn't go if she wanted to go because she is owned by these masters who certainly would not approve of her going to such a place to be a part of such a meeting. But then she also has this demonic spirit inside of her who uh, would, would not uh, create in her any interest at all in going to some type of prayer meeting. But even though that's the case, she is a girl that's following Paul and his companions around town. And as she follows them around town, Luke says she's crying out all the time, these servants are, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now what she's saying is true. Paul and his companions were servants of the Most High God, and they were there to proclaim the way of salvation. But this is not some kind of confession of faith on this girl's part. This is the demon inside of this girl who is trying to create some kind of distraction to keep people away from Paul and his companions. You see, people in town knew about this girl. Uh, you can just imagine if she's possessed by a demon, she probably looked wild, and, and, and she's walking around, and she's screaming and yelling these things about Paul and his companions. People are hearing that. And so instead of being drawn to Paul, uh, people would be sort of repelled by that. And so that's exactly what Satan is trying to do, trying to create this distraction here using this girl to keep people from hearing the gospel message. And so this goes on for a while, and then the Bible says that Paul becomes greatly annoyed by this whole thing to the point that he finally stops and he turns to the girl and he speaks to the demon inside of her. And he commands the demon to come out of her. And he does. He says, come out. Paul doesn't say, I command you to come out. He says, come out in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out of this girl. The demon leaves the girl and there she is. A girl whose life now has been completely changed. And we know that it was changed, and we know that this girl was different because her masters then become upset with Paul and his companions because they have ruined their business. They've been using this girl for profit, and they can't do that anymore because the demon that was in the girl and helping them to make a profit off of her is now gone, so this girl is brand new. This girl is different. And so you can conclude by that, not reading into the text, that this is a girl who became exposed to the gospel through Paul's ministry, and her life changed as a result of that. And what I want you to know this morning is just like we have people in our area who are religious but lost, we also have people like this girl in our area who are people who are trapped and enslaved in a life of sin. They may not all be demon-possessed, but they are all in the possession of Satan. He is their master. They're under his control. And what he is doing is he is using them to wreck and ruin their entire life. People who are enslaved to all different kinds of sins that have done nothing but bring into their life feelings of emptiness, of being used, lonely, full of shame. These are people who are not living. These are people who are merely existing, and they're trapped. A lot of them have given up almost any hope that their life could ever be different. Too much has happened. Their sin is too great. Their chains of sin are too strong. How could they ever be free? Well, you and I know the answer to that. Through Christ and through the gospel. Christ is the one who delivers us from sin. 
Christ is the one who sets us free. Free from our sin, free from the shame and the guilt of our past. It is Christ who makes people new. Just like what happened in this young girl's life. We have people like this all around us. People who are not going to come here. People who are not going to show up initially for our Bible studies. I mean, if they were to walk in here, if, if for some reason they showed up on a Sunday, many of them wouldn't come back the next Sunday because they would sit here and they would look at other people and they would measure themselves up against the people that they see and they would say, I'm too far gone. My life's too messed up. I don't fit in here. These people don't know anything about me. And if they did, did they, wouldn't, they certainly wouldn't have anything to do with me. And so they just disappear and they leave. Going back out into the world, feeling as if their life will never be any different than what it is right now. They're bound. So how do you deal with people like that? How, how can you help people like this slave girl come to the point of believing? You do what Paul did. One, we have to be mindful and burdened for those around us who are enslaved to sin and who are under Satan's control. When the Bible says that Paul was annoyed by what was happening with this girl, uh, you know, the Bible's just being honest. It doesn't say Paul, full of compassion, turned to the girl and he spoke to her gently and commanded the demon to come out of her. It just says Paul turned and he was, he was annoyed. This had gotten under Paul's skin. Did anything ever get under your skin? Do you know you can be a Christian and stuff still, still get under your skin from time to time? Yeah. Well, this girl had gotten under Paul's skin. And I, and I don't know if it was the fact that it was creating a distraction and keeping other people from coming and hearing the gospel message or whether Paul turned and he looked at the girl and he saw what sin had done to her and he saw what Satan was doing to her and he saw how others had used her and Paul was annoyed by all of that, seeing what sin does in a person's life. I don't know why he was annoyed. He was just annoyed. But it doesn't mean that he didn't have compassion for her because instead of leaving her where she was, Trapped in her life of sin, Paul turns and he shares with her the only one who could possibly deliver her. And in the name of Jesus, he commands the demon to come out. There's a lot of people in the world that some people look at and say they're too far gone. Too much has happened, that person will never. And if you look at people that way, then truly you do not understand the power of the gospel. I believe the gospel and that Jesus Christ has the power to save and to change anyone who will come to him and will believe. And if you look around this room, you see the evidence of that because there are some people in this room today whose story, your spiritual journey, looks a lot more like the slave girl than it does Lydia. There was once a time that you didn't care anything about Bible studies. You didn't care anything about church. You didn't care anything about God because you were trapped in a life of sin and sin was destroying you. It was ruining your life until somehow, in some way, through someone, somebody shared with you the gospel and it gave you hope that maybe God could change my life. And he did the moment that you believed. 
People like this slave girl, not going to come here. We got to go there. That's why we got to live missionally. We got to be out in the world looking for opportunities to engage people like this girl in spiritual conversations, beginning by just loving them, by taking an interest in their life, going to places where we might possibly meet them. We as a church do that. We have members in our church that are doing that already. Now, we've got people who are involved in our jail ministry. They're going to the jail. Those the people in jail are not going to come here. They can't come here right now because they're incarcerated. And they're sitting in a jail cell thinking about decisions that they've made and looking at where their life might be right now. And I'm not saying that all of them are sitting on edge waiting for somebody to sh- share with them the gospel, but they're sitting there looking at their life, realizing that this isn't working. Something's not, something's not right in my life. And look what it's doing to me. And then somebody shows up and tells them how their life can be different through Jesus Christ. And for many, it's brought hope into their life. It's changed their life. But they were met in a jail cell. We've got people that volunteer at We Care. And there are people who come through the doors at We Care that our, our folks interact with, and they meet people who are at the bottom, people who are looking at their life and where they are and wondering if things could ever be any different. And then somebody begins to show them compassion and kindness and begins to introduce to them Jesus Christ and share with them the gospel. We've got people who volunteer and work at Agape House. Agape House is one of the ministries that we support here in town. It's a crisis pregnancy center where people come through the doors and they're anticipating or thinking about ending the life of their unborn child because they don't think they have any other options or they think that's, that's the best option and something's put, somebody's put that in their head. And then they walk in that door and the people there are great people who are doing everything they can to show that individual and that couple that the child inside their room is alive and is deserving of life. But even more than that, they are looking for opportunities to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and to help them to know that Jesus Christ can save them and forgive them and give them a new life that hopefully they can one day pass on to their child as well. We've got people who are doing some of those things. We've got to do more of those things because there's people like this slave girl who are out there who are in need of the gospel. And we're being called to go out into the world and help people like that come to a place where they can believe. Let me share you one last story here. If you look at uh, the end of chapter 16, you see this encounter that Paul has with this Philippian jailer. So because Paul and uh, his companions helped this slave girl, and Paul cast out the demon from the girl, the people who owned her, the people who had been in control of her life became very angry with Paul, and so they created this mob. Paul was arrested, and he and Silas were beaten severely, the Bible says, and then they were thrown into the innermost part of the prison. They were being watched over by a jailer. Now, this jailer is someone who is also lost and even somewhat different than Lydia and the slave girl that we've already met in the chapter. Jailers were often highly decorated Roman soldiers who, as a retirement gift, were given jails to run. He's probably an older man. And like many who deal with criminals on an everyday basis, he's a man who's probably become hardened and cynical. He would have been considered part of the ruling class. And he's there watching over Paul and Silas while they're in this innermost part of the prison. What he represents is a man who is seemingly satisfied with where he is in life and completely disinterested in spiritual things. 
There's no indication this guy has even given a thought to God or spiritual matters in his life. He's just kind of living his life, and he's got, a, he's got a, 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 a decent job. He makes a good living. He's got a family. And so he, he thinks he's got everything that he needs. But then he encounters these two men who have been thrown into his prison. The Bible says after being beaten severely and then put in stocks, that Paul and Silas around midnight decide to do what? They begin to praise God. They begin to have a praise service there in the prison. And so they begin to sing praises to God. Let me ask you, do you think that that would be your initial response after being beaten severely and thrown in jail and put in stocks? Do you think that you would be praising God? Some of us can't even praise God when they get our order wrong at McDonald's in the drive-thru. I mean, that, that sends us into orbit. I mean, we just lose our minds. The least little thing goes wrong. We just completely lose it. But here are two guys who've been beaten severely and thrown into prison. And the thing that, the thing that they decide to do in that moment in their life is just give praise and glory to God. They're not doing it for show. This is not theater. This is just two men who love Jesus and are praising God even in the midst of their circumstances. They don't know if anybody's listening to them or not. And as they're praising God, there's an earthquake. And the earthquake shakes the foundations of the prison and it loosens their chains. And so they're, they're free. The, the, the prison doors open up, the chains have fallen off, and if that were you, what are you doing? I'm making a run for it, Right? I mean, I'm getting out of there as fast as I can, but that's not what Paul and Silas do. Paul and Silas stay put. And things are dark, and it's confusing there, and the jailer doesn't know what's going on. And all he can assume is that these two men that he was, he was supposed to keep watch over and make sure that they never escaped, they've gone. And he knows that he's going to be accountable for that, and that means that somebody's head is going to roll, and it's going to be his, and so he just decides to take his own life. And he gets ready to do that. He gets ready to kill himself. In this moment of crisis, and Paul calls out to him and says, hey, don't do that. We're all still here. We haven't gone anywhere. We're still right here. And in that moment, God grabs hold of the heart of this Philippian jailer. Because he's listened to these men praise God all night long. And now, in this moment of crisis in his own life, these men showing him compassion, reaching out to him, he realizes that these guys have something that I don't have, but I want what they've got. And he cries out and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And the man believes and he's baptized. Read the story. It's right there. Acts chapter 16. And what this man represents is he, repre he represents people who are all around us in this world, who right now feel like they've got it all. They're completely satisfied with where they are in life. They're content. Life's going great for them right now. No problems at all. And because of that, they never even think about God. God never even crosses their mind. But one of these days... One of these days, there's a great likelihood that some kind of crisis is going to come into their life. It's going to rock their world completely. And in that moment, they're going to realize that they, that they are a, a person in need. 
of something that they have yet to discover. You know what God does? God oftentimes puts believers in the life of people like that. People who just go about every day living out their faith in Christ, trusting Christ, following Christ, obeying Christ, praising Christ. And they watch them as they go through the highs and the lows, the ups and downs of everyday life. They see these Christians who go through challenges and trials in their own life but how they hold on to their faith in God and how they keep praising God in their life, no matter what's happening in their life, they just hold on to their faith, and their faith is what gets them through. And they don't think much about it until the moment that the bottom falls out of their life, and then all of a sudden, as they realize that I am a person in need, and there is something that I have not yet discovered that might give me hope in this life and in the life to come, they remember that Christian that God put in their life. They begin to ask the question, what is it that you have that gives you hope? What, what is it that sustains you when you go through these difficult times in your life? Why is it that you have such peace and such joy no matter what's happening in your world? And it opens up the door for us to be able to say, let me tell you, his name is Jesus. How do you reach people like this Philippian jailer? By being faithful. By not being ashamed of your faith, but living out your faith every single day in front of a world that's watching you even when you don't know that the world is watching you. Let them see you living out your faith, trusting God, following God, obeying God, praising God, no matter what's going on in your life. You may not think they're paying attention. You may not think they care at all about spiritual things, but something may happen one day in their life that's going to open up the door for you to share the gospel with them. And God will use that to bring them to faith in Him. These people are all around us. The very people that Paul met when he went to Philippi are people that you and I meet, people that you and I see every day of our life, even right here in Martin, even right here in West Tennessee. And our mission, our job is to help people in whatever stage of unbelief they are is to help them come to the point where they believe in Jesus Christ and they believe the gospel. This is what we want to be about as a church. This is the mission that we've been given. And there may be somebody this morning who falls into one of these categories. There may be somebody here today who's religious but you're lost. You've gone to church for years. You know, you know some things about the Bible. You have a respect for the Bible. And you believe that there is a God. And you'd like to know Him. You'd like to know that one day you're going to go to heaven. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to heaven one day when they die? The thing that you don't know is you don't know Jesus. You never believed the gospel. You've never understood that Jesus came into this world to die for your sin. He suffered the death that you deserve in order to give you the life that you don't deserve. And the only way that you can have life is by putting your faith and trust in Him. Maybe you've never heard that, but today you have. And we invite you to put your trust in Jesus and believe in the gospel. Maybe you're sitting here and you're that slave girl. 
You're a person who is in the shackles and the chains of sin. And sin has left you broken and ruined, disappointed, ashamed. And you're wondering, how could you ever get free? And could your life ever be any different? And I'm telling you, it can. But only through the gospel and only through Jesus Christ. Jesus can set you free if you'll put your faith and trust in him. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never really cared about spiritual things in your life. You don't even really know why you're sitting here today. But you're here. And as you're sitting here this morning, you realize that there's something missing in your life. That you've got a lot of great things going for you, but the one thing that you don't have is the assurance of eternal life. And you don't know what in the world would happen to you when you die. And on the inside, something tells you that you're empty. That there's a hole in your life that's never been filled. And I'm telling you, his name is Jesus. And if you put your faith in Christ and believe the gospel, you'll discover what's been missing in your life and the one thing that will change your life forever. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org. Oh,